2: Terms and conditions apply.
3: The secret to catching prize-worthy fish...
4: This is the best of OutKick, the Coverage with Clay Travis
2: on Fox Sports Radio.
4: Doug Gottlieb on the East Coast doing television later today for FS One. Uh Doug, what's up, man? Appreciate you getting up with us.
1: Young MC to wake to wake up.
4: Yeah, it's it is uh it is tough to beat. Um here's, my thing, about, here's my thing about one hit
1: wonders. There's a negative connotation to one hit wonders um they did something you know that song is from i think middle school uh, must have been middle school for me like and seventh or eighth recite, grade yeah yeah i can recite every word for it so they created something that the i there's no one hit one is not a big quotation they made something that resonates.
4: do we is it just me or is doug we got a bad signal on doug there uh can you guys call him back is that just me or is that my side
3: no, it's a bad signal from his phone, so we're going to dial him back right now.
4: We're doing that. Like I got to be uh, honest, uh, Young MC not a one-hit wonder. I mean, I remember all of the songs from that one album. Yeah, I remember "Principals Office." Principal's was, Office was all over the radio. I, "I Come Off" was a pretty big song yep. too. Um, but uh, I, obviously, he did not have uh, he did not have a ton after that. But that was uh, that was the album. Uh, let's see, what was that album called? Stone Cold Rhymin. Uh, and, uh, obviously he had, this is crazy. He's had like eight albums since then. And, uh, I don't know any of them at all since then. Do we have Doug back up and uh, ready to roll yet? In about 30 seconds. We're calling his hotel room right now. Ah, that's smart. Go through the, go through the landline. This is how you learn in big time radio. Always go through the landline. If you have an opportunity to go through the landline, the challenge on going through the hotel is sometimes they won't let you put through to uh, the room itself. So this is a little uh, behind-the-scenes uh, universe here. By the way, the uh, I'm obsessed right now with the bracket. And uh, there's a website that's actually fantastic called uh, bracketmatrix.com. Uh, Doug, we got you back now on the hard line what there bracket? in the hotel.
1: What, what bracket is it?
4: So, like, you obviously are plugged in big time to college basketball. I don't look at any <laughs> one bracket now. I go to bracketmatrix.com, which collates <laughs> basically all of them. And then it gives you like an overall rating. So like the it seems like there's pretty good consensus right now. Villanova, Virginia, Kansas, and Xavier are your number one seeds. Would you agree with that in general right now?
1: Um, I guess yeah. I mean the the problem with it is like I just watched Villanova play last night against Seton Hall. That was the Fox Sports one game, and they looked imminently and completely beatable. Now, kind of like Villanova seems to always be able to do in the Big East against Seton Hall, they they found a way to win. Uh, so I guess, and, you know, here's Xavier, who won the Big East last night, but they lost twice to Villanova, right? And then, you know, in the non-conference, uh, they had a, a great showing, but, you know, they were they were beaten by Arizona State, who's now below 500 in the Pac-12. I, I think that's what it is. I'm not sure that, I don't think that's what it should be, but I think that's what it is. I mean, like, look, one of the big questions we have is the scandal with Arizona does more than just potentially bring down Arizona basketball. It makes it really hard To not only place them in the field, but then to place everybody else kind of around them, right? Because Arizona, based upon performance, should be a two seed, maybe, and have a chance for a one if they win out and win the Pac-12 tournament. Um, But we don't know right now. They're playing without Alonzo. Lost in this is their best perimeter player is suspended for a second PED test, right? With this crazy story, then you have. You know the, the DeAndre Ayton, who is playing and cleared as of now. We don't know the status of Sean Miller. Like we don't know anything, so they could be a two seed. I guess you could put them as a four seed, and then not knowing the status of so many of these two of these two, their two best players, like you want to be in their bracket regardless of what their seed is, because you think if they don't play, now all of a sudden they become imminently beatable. I think that's the craziest part to it.
4: If you, When this story went public about Sean Miller and DeAndre Ayton at ESPN.com, they've since changed a lot of the details uh, and corrected them and everything else. But what was your reaction, and did you believe it, and do you think the story is correct?
1: Well, I have no idea if the story is correct. Uh, is it, is it, there are some, some details to it that didn't seem to make sense, only because of my knowledge of the parties. Um, but I had heard they had had, I-, I had heard the rumor was all season long they had um, one or two of the Arizona coaches talking $100,000 for a player on a wiretap, and that those guys were going down. That was the rumor, uh, and that Sean Miller was trying to get out of Arizona. Uh, that that was that was what everybody thought. There's a couple other programs where people think that 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 coach is either gonna get out or gonna get fired or whatever. Arizona was one of them, and so when it came, but now when it came out as DeAndre Ayton, it seemed a little weird, only in that Christian Dawkins had no like, Sean Miller didn't handle any of the recruiting. Um, his former assistant is now, now the head coach at UC Santa Barbara. Did, but. Um, it wasn't wasn't unbelievable. Uh, the the strangest part was when he said, "Don't talk to anybody else about money. Talk to me." Whereas usually usually these coaches, they have layers between them, right? You never even get to the head coach, so that there's plausible deniability. So part of the story, I I believed, or maybe it, maybe it was a confirmation bias, right? I had heard that these programs were dirty and that it was ultimately going to come out, but the the details to it were surprising. And they were a lot different than I thought they would be. And by the way, I still don't actually know what the details are because ESPN.com has gone back and and fixed a couple of the details to that story.
4: Do you think there will be other, like Rick Pitino comes out and then there's like months where there's no direct connection to any other major coach, then the bombshell lands about Sean Miller. We're now like whatever the math is. Ten days until the actual NCAA bracket is revealed. Do you think in the next ten days or so, the next couple of weeks, that any other major coaches are going to get hit by one of these landmines, so to speak, or do you think we get into the NCAA tournament without any more major revelations?
1: Dude, I got no idea.
4: Yeah, I mean, and and wh- and how much of a mess is it for the NCAA if this drip, drip, drip continues up until the NCAA tournament? For this reason, because once the tournament starts. I feel like people are just going to focus on college basketball, and they're not going to sit around and talk about the overall landscape. Well, they, of... they
1: won't because they won't because CBS in turn won't talk about it.
4: Right on the air. Yes, right?
1: but also so I everybody. Think fans... but, but it'll be great for us. So look, I have I have zero idea, and I actually feel sympathy for the NCAA because this is not their investigation. They are powerless uh, over this investigation. They can't control any sort of narrative. And the crazy part about it is like. People in our industry, we take all of this and we're like, well, see, you should pay the players. Like, there is, talk about a non sequitur. This has nothing to do with paying the players. Zero. Like, this is kind of old school classic cheating meets kind of new school. I, I, there's always been runners, there's always been agents, there's always been, you know, kids or parents or, 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 you know, uncles with their hands out. This has, this has occurred. And the idea that if you're going to compensate players above that of a scholarship, that somehow that's going to stop cheating.
4: Yeah, it's really Um, dumb. I think that argument is dumb. People always want more, right? I mean, that's like the number one lesson of American capitalism. So if you gave
1: every single player... Yeah, your contract's up in a a year. Somebody's going to give you... Somebody's going to give you... You know, do you want more money? Hell yeah, you do. Yes. And and so it has nothing to do... and, And there are rules to what you can do and when you can do them and how you can do them. And... You know, if if people who break those rules have to be punished, otherwise, what's the purpose of having those rules? So I, I I don't understand the non sequitur that people create.
4: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Here's the two things I would say, and I want to get your reaction to this. We're talking to Doug Gottlieb. One, my issue with the NCAA is if rules don't change outcomes. My perspective is why do we have rules? And that might seem like a broad question. So let me dial it back and explain. If there were no NCAA rules at all which schools in college basketball would get the best players? Kentucky, Duke, UNC, right? Like it would be the same teams that are getting the best players now. So that's one. My other question is, I do think that a lot of people have completely overlooked, in my mind, the NBA's age restrictions here. And I know it's a collectively bargained age restriction. I know the players and the owners agree for it, and it happens in other leagues too. But I think a big part of the NBA, of NCAA issues, is that they are creating a black market because there are tons of kids that are coming in at 18 years old that have a substantial value over and above a scholarship, and they really can't unlock it. And I know you can tell me, hey, you can go play in Israel, you can go play in Italy, you can go play overseas. Uh, you can go to the G League. If the G League got their contracts up to like $500,000 a year, I think there would be a lot of people who would look at that. But I think now the dollars are so small that guys make the decision to go to college instead. And so those two issues are the biggest to me that jump out about this scandal.
1: Uh, okay, so I don't understand what the what the question is. So, I mean, do you agree with me that
4: those those two, like, so if the rules don't Yeah, yeah, really... well,
1: look, the, well... Let's start with the age restriction. Here's the part that no one's actually saying: NBA owner, uh, NBA GMs and coaches, and honestly, NBA players, most of them, they don't want the kids coming straight out of high school.
4: Totally get that.
1: They don't. Go back and look. Go back and track it. All the guys that came out, including LeBron James, and obviously he's the greatest success story. And there's a lot of great success stories. When you draft a kid out of high school, he's so not ready, but because the owner wants thinks, "I got the next LeBron, I got the next Kobe, I want you to play him," that the coach gets fired, the general manager gets fired, even though all he did was play the kid. Um, you know, the hit rate is 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 just as just as high or just as low at one year out of college, sometimes actually lower out of high school. Um, so the, but but the players don't want more guys flooding the market. Coaches don't want to coach younger players that haven't been coached by a college coach you know and general managers don't want to be going to high school in order to evaluate. They really want 2 or 3 years. That's the truth. The only people that want it none and done uh, to be as, is our agents. That's it. And now fans because fans are like, well, Kobe did and but they didn't live through the process with some of these with with so many you know Jermaine Jones whatever who didn't play for three years for ultimately finally playing for the Portland Trailblazers like th- things like that or in in the uh, Indiana Pacers whatever, um, so uh, th- and the reason that that agents want it is they want to start that clock on the second contract earlier. That's it. Correct. That, that's, that's, I mean, it that, makes a lot of sense. So, how would you fix it? I mean, I'd go to two and three and done. But, again, that's not a college basketball rule. The, the right, the but big do you think is, the,
4: NBA, the NBA seems, do you think they're going to go to two or three done? I mean, again, that's, that's where I think a lot of fans miss this. They is. would have. If,
1: Adam, if, if David Stern was still the commissioner, it would have. Uh, but Adam Silver is such a pushover, right? I don't, did, you, did you see this memo that Adam Silver sent? He sent us, they sent a memo yesterday. He's like, hey, if any of you guys get caught uh, tanking games, there's going to be hell to pay. Yeah. Have you There's two teams that have lost ten games in a row. Yes. In in the NBA, there's like seven teams that are fighting to tank all of these games. Like it's embarrassing. It's so non-competitive in the fourth quarter. Like you just and, and you know how you don't you know how you lose games in the in the uh, in the NBA. You play your younger players because they they're not. No matter how good they might ultimately you think they might be, they're not. So, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't think Adam Silver has the balls to, to do it but every, that's what everybody has wanted for a long time. College basketball coaches are like, well, let's do a, a, the, like the baseball rule. The problem with the baseball rule is you run the risk of becoming college baseball, right? which nobody cares about, nobody talks about. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing is I think the NCAA does a terrible job, terrible job of promoting how successful and all the great things you actually have. Like, you get so hooked up now, way better than ever. You get cost of attendance. Cost of college is way more expensive than ever was. Chance to get in college. I mean, you know, wait till you got what, three three kids, three boys? Three boys, yeah. Yeah, enjoy that, dude. Enjoy. Yeah. Right? I mean, Vanderbilt is 65000 $70,000. It's insanely
4: expensive, yes.
1: Same thing with Michigan. And to get into, and all of us, myself included, wouldn't have got into most of our first choices or second choices if not for basketball, let alone be able to afford it and then we're talking post-tax income. And then you get hooked up with everything, and, and you still have the opportunity. And if you're, if you're actually good enough, you can leave and go play. And by the way, that's the other part. You are, you're diminishing the G League, which, look, I don't like the G League. I played minor league basketball. I hated it. But if a player really if – if their name and likeness is really valuable, then why can't they go to the G League? All you have to do is play for one year, and you get your shoe deal. Like you're so, if you're so big, you can work for Al's. You can do a, a, be a promo guy for Al's Trucking, okay, or Jim's Towing, or whoever Chevrolet. That's because their name and likeness is invaluable. The name and likeness of the coach and of the university and of the conference and 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 the real value there is in the in the. You talk about the bracket. The bracket is what sells. Eight billion dollars for eight years. Turner to the NCAA is only purchasing the bracket because that's the only thing that people care about. They just do. The numbers for college basketball are way down in terms of viewership, but people will watch, and they'll watch because of the bracket. That's it, the bracket and the logo of the teams. And then you get to know the players. It's the ultimate promotional tour. Hell, I'm smart enough to know that everything that I created in order to just get into this industry and, and, and be a part of this industry was started because I played in college, I was top 10 in the we went to the Elite Eight, and I was kind of a colorful, interesting player at the time, and it got me into the first interview at ESPN, and it got me on air broadcasting college basketball games 15 years ago.
4: I think that's a powerful defense of the NCAA. Um, and, and look,
1: and, and look I, I can't defend some of the stupid rules that they've had, but people get caught up in the difference between stupid, nuanced rules. Okay. And the, the big rule, which is we're not paying our players. Okay. You talk about free market. Like that's not what we're in it for. We're in it here to create opportunities to get guys' degrees because we understand that most kids who grew up playing sports you know, wouldn't have the opportunity to go to college. And like it's second to the GI Bill in terms of numbers of scholarships given away. That's all this is about. And if you can become a professional at any – the great thing about basketball is the second you're good enough – to play at a professional level. You can leave, and here's the other part. You can come back anytime you want, and they have to. By law, they have to put you back on scholarship, even if you're not playing. How about that rule?
4: No, I mean, I think that's the great underrated aspect of the uh, the Major League Baseball uh, aspect. I mean, that these guys, even if they you know decide to try to go pro get the opportunity to come back and try to get their education at some point and they have to get a full scholarship to be able to do it. I do think that's under uh, under discussed. All right. I want to ask you about the actual teams that are in the tournament this year. And you talked about the challenges that might come with a team like Arizona and whether or not they're going to be good. Uh, I ran through the overall number one seeds. I'm looking at the bracketmatrix.com. This is a collection of every bracketology. Uh, Villanova, Virginia, Kansas, Xavier. Uh, I want to start with this question uh, Duke, Purdue, North Carolina, Michigan State, Auburn, Cincinnati, Tennessee, Texas Tech is the top 12 right now uh, overall seeds. Which of these four do you think has been the best coaching job? Bruce Pearl at Auburn, uh, Rick Barnes at Tennessee uh texas techs coach <laughs> or uh holtman at ohio state which of those four do you think deserves the coach of the year and is there somebody else that you would point to because all four of those teams right now are top 12 seeds and i don't think anybody would have predicted that before the season started
1: chris chris beard is texas techs head coach. yeah
4: uh, how many people uh, do you think know who texas techs head coach is
1: well, he came, remember when Arkansas Little Rock beat Purdue in the tournament yes. a couple years ago he was the coach there yeah so I, he used to be a manager for Bob Knight so right there you should win an award because he survived being a manager for Bob yeah, Knight
4: that's like going to the into the Navy seals, no doubt yes
1: yes um man, that's a hard one. I would say probably Chris Holtman um you know like look what what BP has done at auburn is pretty pretty awesome. Pretty amazing, right? You lose two starters and you end up winning the league. Now they kind of petered out down the stretch. And there's the job that everyone, like, the crazy part is not just that they lost two guys. The crazy part is, remember, he didn't cooperate yes. uh, with, with the investigation? And everybody thinks Bruce Pearl's still getting fired at the end of the year. So I mean like that's that's the that's the college basketball rumor is that yeah, yeah, all whatever Bruce does, that's great. He's still getting fired because he can't have anything to do with anything negative N C A wise and the, ultimately they're gonna have to fire him because Jay Jacobs um uh retired, you know, the A D that hired yes. him. So uh that, that one is amazing. Rick Barnes who everybody said, Well Rick Barnes just he's just taking this job to retire. Um, and now he goes out and look at what he's done at Tennessee. And people are like, oh, you know what, Rick Barnes, actually a really good coach. And he actually did a really good job at Texas. They just underachieved a lot in the NCAA tournament. Um, but I, I think that, that – and Chris Holtman has done a tremendous job. I mean, he's a really good coach. You know, they've fallen on hard times, but their best player, Keenan Evans, has been hurt. And it's going to be a nagging injury he's going to play with. But I would say Chris Holtman. I mean, Ohio State had not only fallen on hard times, you know, two years ago, they had mass defections guys transferring out and yet had mado who everybody liked everybody respected but you know the team was super selfish and and the, the Big Ten is good at the top. Big Ten is terrible at the bottom. I don't know. Did you even know they had a Big Ten tournament start yesterday in Madison Square Garden? I,
4: I did know that because I thought it was intriguing to do it a week early um, compared to everybody else. Uh, because yeah, it's usually a ter- the Big ter- Ten not a terrible idea. Yeah, the usually is, the Big Ten and like when they come out with the bracket, the, the team that won the Big Ten title is still on the court, right? I right, mean, like, like it's still like, still like wiping
1: off the still yes. wiping off the sweat on CBS. It's almost always like Michigan State and Wisconsin. And when I was at CBS. It was uh, we always had to fill extra because Wisconsin games go short because they don't foul. Yeah. you know, college basketball is a two-hour window, and Wisconsin games always go like an hour and forty-seven minutes. So, uh, but yeah, so it's an interesting idea. But the the real story about the Big Ten is there's four good teams, and everybody else sucks. Like Nebraska, Nebraska, who's never won an NCAA tournament game, has won 13 Big Ten regular season games, 13 and five. And they're a bubble team, and most people have them. Not, I would wonder what the bracket matrix is that has them in or out as of today, right? That's how yeah. down the that's how down the Big Ten is. Uh, but Ohio State has has beaten Purdue at Purdue. You look at the quality of of wins that they've achieved. Plus, it's more than anything, just turning around a program in such short order. Like you come in. And it wasn't like he got the job in April and gutted it and started with new players. He got the job late, and it's a completely different program, completely different momentum. And the only real thing that's changed is him, and then he brought Andrew Dockich with him, who's Dan Dockich's kid, who was a walk-on, that like, given a scholarship at Michigan, and now you know, plays huge, big minutes for him um, as, a, as a fifth-year senior at Ohio State. So I'd say Chris Holman's your coach of the year.
4: Uh, outstanding stuff as always Doug uh, knock it out on television this morning we'll talk to you probably next week as the uh, bracket gets closer and closer
1: the, the voice sounds better I had a, I had a day like you had yesterday oh my god about a month ago yeah, yeah there's this uh, there's, there's this kind of uh, tea uh, I think it's called yogi tea or something like that uh, there's throat coat tea. I know you'd love that. I know you. <laughs> all everybody on th- Outkick is like, dude, try the throat coat tea. I, That's right up I, your alley. I, I
4: thought uh, I was gonna die yesterday. I feel a little bit less like death today. Thanks, my man. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I believe we have Alex Marvez up and running. Are you up in Indy this week, Alex?
0: Yes, I, yes, I am. Clay. Good morning. How's it going?
4: I'm doing well. I appreciate you joining us here on a Thursday morning uh, from Indianapolis. How many years have you covered the Combine? About 21. Okay, so this is fascinating then. 20 years ago, what was the Combine like compared to now?
0: (laughs) Well, okay, so from a media standpoint, there was no availability with players. You'd have to stand in a hotel lobby, and they took out the furniture to try to make you uncomfortable, right? This is part of it. So they would—you'd have to be in the Crown Plaza Hotel, and you would hope that you could find someone in the NFL. At least at my at my point in my career, I would give you a um, like an index, like a printout of what numbers you, you, each player had on the back of their sweatshirt that they were given at the combine. So you would look because you have to try to find these guys. Because you might not reckon available. it's a great
4: point. Like, right. they try to make right. everybody anonymous. So it's not like you're walking around with your football jersey on. Like, you just have a number. And if you haven't covered college football, it's not like these guys' faces are out all the time, right. like in a college basketball or something. You might not know any of them.
0: Exactly. And that's the thing. And if you're looking for a specific player, maybe a hometown guy or something, it was a challenge. The other thing, too, was how the medicals worked. You know, Clay, You know, the, the whole reason that the Combine started, and still its main purpose to this day, is to have one central location for medical examinations and to try, because it started with Nolan Cromwell and he's a guy, you remember him old school football player, defensive back, you know, played in the seventies and he was flying from city to city, like Seattle to Dallas, Dallas to the giants. I mean, everywhere to have his shoulder x-rayed. That was the deal. So, you know, like it just, why are we doing this? Why does this guy have to fly all across the country to have each team x-ray him individually when you could have it done in one central place. Okay, so that worked out great, except with the invention of MRI machines and all that, you would send players seven, eight hours to a hospital, have to wait for one MRI machine. That's how it ended up being back then. Now they have mobile MRIs. you got get guys in and out. It's a much more efficient process, and obviously it become a much more friendly media process. They're trying to advertise you know, the the players that are here and, you know, all NFL teams All oh, 28 of the 32 had at least one representative addressing the media here at the combine, you know, four teams didn't Patriots won. What a shock, right? But but you know you're talking about you know publicizing their team and trying to get fan interest. I mean it's become a convention. You know the NFL holds meetings with the NFL Players Association. You have a lot of people trying to sell products like analytics, you know medical devices, etc. It is really a giant convention as much as it is a way to examine these kids.
4: Yeah, there's no doubt at all about that. Now I think the number one story still of the combine is what are the Browns going to do with the number one overall pick? Um, and it appeared that the jets had some momentum in particularly maybe being able to snag kirk cousins what have you heard about kirk cousins because i think he's kind of the linchpin to start to make sense about what might happen at the top of this draft well i mean you know listen everyone is connecting kirk cousins to the minnesota vikings and and that makes a lot of sense they have 44 million dollars in salary
0: cap space available you can always create more cap space if need be, so that that's something to consider for the Vikings. And so where would you rather go? Would you rather play outside in New York? Yes, I know, indeed, a bigger media market, but not be surrounded by as good a team as what Kirk Cousins would have if he goes to the Twin Cities. And you know, we, it looks like Case Keenum not going to get a tag, a transition or franchise tag. Uh, you know, given by him, Teddy Bridgewater set to become an unrestricted free agent. The same with Sam Bradford. So that's where that is, and that leads to Jets in a little bit of a precarious position. Do you now have to go in the draft? Are you are you going to be comfortable again? with a placeholder quarterback, because that's how I view pretty much everyone else out there. You know, Teddy Bridgewater probably has the most upside of the guys that are going to be unrestricted free agents. And I'm not counting Drew Brees in this, because I really do believe he goes back to the Saints. But my point is, like, you know, Bridgewater, do you bank, you know, the future of your team on Teddy Bridgewater? Probably not. But the Jets sitting at six are in a good spot. Play the way this draft is shaping up, The Giants don't look like they're taking a quarterback at two, and that's not to say that they won't, and they have to give the impression that they may be, but it really looks like Saquon Barkley is going to be their guy. Then at number three, the Colts, they're not taking a quarterback, they're in on the Andrew Luck business, so they take Bradley Chubb of NC State, because there's no other pass rusher that's worthy of being picked in the top ten. Marcus Davenport is probably, he'll get elevated into the early teens by UTSA, but that's Texas-San Antonio. But the point is that that's, that's how that goes. So all of a sudden, the Jets sitting at six, it's not so precarious. You'll probably have a shot at one of the big three, and I'm talking Rosen, Donald, and Allen. And you're just going to have to figure out which one you like best and try to move up to get whoever Cleveland doesn't take among that group of one.
4: How many quarterbacks do you think go in the first round? Well, those three, Baker
0: Mayfield will be four. And, you know, Baker and the Dolphins is going to be very Very
4: So are they basically done with the Dolphins with Tannehill? I mean, I know he had an injury and like what's gonna happen there? Well, I mean, listen, Adam Gase said he's playing for twenty eighteen. So so he's Tannehill will be back
0: next year. But as far as anything beyond that, how can you count on the guy? You know, I mean he's just you've gone you know, what are we in five, six years now and you still don't really know what Ryan Tannehill is? I mean he had success under Gase, but Is he he good enough to win a Super Bowl? I mean, that's what everyone's supposed to be in this for, right? And so that's why I think that Baker Mayfield is going to be so intriguing to the Dolphins. Because if you know Adam Gase, you know Baker Mayfield a little bit, their personalities are perfect for each other. I mean, this would be one of those Sean Payton, Drew Brees type bonds that you'd have between these guys. The, The big question for the Dolphins is, is he going to be available when they draft in the early teens? So. But he makes a lot of sense. And then we start getting into some, you know, Mason Rudolph, where does he fall into all this? Lamar Jackson, quarterback slash wide receiver. But he's going to get drafted as a quarterback. Does he intrigue a team later on in the draft? And, you know, Jacksonville's one of these squads that, even with Blake Bortles signed to that contract extension, you just wonder, would they be willing to invest a first-round pick in a QB to hedge their bet on Blake Bortles? Something we're going to have to watch as the draft approaches.
4: What did you think? We're talking to Alex Marvez. He's up in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. What did you think about the decision that the Jags made with Blake Bortles?
0: You know, it made sense for them. You know, I mean, and listen, he's an ascending player. I mean, that's a positive part about Bortles. Now, how high is he going to ascend? I don't know, you know. I mean, that's a tough question, but the Jags were comfortable with him. Listen, his teammates like it. I mean, they respect him. He's never thrown anyone under a bus, right? And the guy tries. He does everything that you'd love to see in a franchise quarterback. So his guys are cool with him. And you get Allen Robinson back next year, and I'm, I'm trying to make this sound appealing to Jags fans, by the way, Clay. But you know, you get Allen Robinson back next year, Leonard Fournette's had another year, and and you know, you can you keep him growing in this offense, and you know, maybe Blake Bortles hasn't truly reached the, the heights that he can, I and mean, that's that's the big thing. But for the Jags, what was the other option? They, they really weren't going to be in the Kirk Cousins business. I mean, Kirk Cousins isn't everyone's cup of tea, right? I mean, just there are some teams that are going to look at the price tag I and mean, like, is this guy a 28 29 million dollar quarterback? Do we really think that he's worth that type of Investment. I think in Jacksonville they weighed the odds, and they're like, no, not really. And you know, obviously they didn't trade for Alex Smith. I mean, they seem committed to Blake Bortles. They know him. They know his strengths. They know how to camouflage his weaknesses. So there you go. And it's not the type of contract that they can't get out of. I mean, they have flexibility as early as 2019 would have to take a little bit of a cap hit, but they can get out of it. And for Blake Bortles, you know, he probably doesn't get the same type of love in free agency that that others will. As far as the quarterback position, he might be considered a placeholder quarterback by another team until they draft a new guy. So he'd rather go to a place like Jacksonville where he's got a legitimate shot of staying on as a franchise QB. So I think it works for both sides. I mean, we'll see how it all pans out if the Jag- if this guy can take the Jags to a Super Bowl. But like he's not the reason that Jacksonville wasn't playing in Super Bowl 52.
4: Yeah, no, it's correct. We're talking to Alex Marvez. One guy that I haven't heard much talk about in the offseason, and, uh, and I'm intrigued because he's coming into his fourth year and because the third year was such a disappointment, Jameis Winston. How committed do you think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are right now to Jameis Winston, and what do they want to see from him in year four? You know, it's funny you mentioned him because I think there's a perception and a reality. And the perception
0: is that Jameis Winston didn't have a great 2017 because his team goes 5-11. and But when you look at all of the rate, like the, the completion percentage, touchdown to interception, all of these things, there was no better quarterback in the month of December than Jameis Winston. It's crazy. You know, now the rest of the team wasn't that great. The defense was horrendous, but but that's how Dirk Cutter helps. It saved his bacon, his head coach, because Jameis Winston did continue to improve. You know, it's interesting, Clay, and, and you know this. I mean, you're a very smart, shrewd guy. I really think Jameis Winston is an extremely bright guy. Who sometimes is sort of because he's so smart, I think he sometimes has communication type issues. Like he expresses himself differently. I remember that with Brian Greasy when he was with the Broncos. He had, you know, he this guy was so smart. And I just think sometimes he had a harder time. Relating to some folks, so he'd do some goofy things. That was James. That's Jameis Winston. He does goofy things. But listen, the the needle's pointing up for him. And now it's up to them to, you know, Deshaun Jackson. Are you going to actually throw some more nine routes? Are you going to be able to get him the football? Man, I talked to Dirk Cutter about this yesterday, and and Dirk said that's on us. Uh, We didn't do a good job taking advantage of Deshaun Jackson's skills. So that you know, Jameis Winston isn't the problem for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The problem for the Buccaneers is being last in the NFL when it comes to sacks, and you know, having a secondary. That was a little bit shaky. I mean, those things are what really killed them. They have to find a way to address the pass rush. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it in the draft. Going to, and free agency claim there, it is barren right now when it comes to pass rushers. That's why you see a Ziggy Ansah from the Detroit lions, given the franchise tag. I mean, I'm, you know, every, any elite level pass rusher is probably not hitting the market. So, the Bucks are going to have to look in the draft. Hope that Noah Spence comes back and, and plays well for them, uh, and probably going to address the secondary in the first round. I mean, with their number seven pick, I imagine Minka Fitzgerald from Alabama probably going to be their guy, uh, unless something changes.
4: Yeah, Fitzpatrick is a hell of a player. Nick so uh, Saban used him all over the field. Uh, two teams that desperately need a quarterback. That I'm not sure what direction they're going to go. Denver and the Cardinals. Um, Arizona basically has nobody on the roster. The Broncos have been messing around for several years now, trying to find a guy. What do they do? I think
0: Denver goes with a bridge bridge quarterback like a Case Keenum. Uh, you know, maybe AJ McCarron. I mean, none of these names are. Exciting. What's the value for AJ
4: McCarron? We haven't even hardly talked about that. Is there much interest in AJ McCarron uh, for people out there who didn't even pay attention to this story? He won his... And I don't even know what happened. I didn't even read the articles. I just saw the headline. He won a grievance to become a free agent. What happened in that story for AJ McCarron with the Bengals? So you
1: just...
0: To twitter you don't even need yeah. 100 280 characters you can do it in 140 and you'd know aj free agent that's it that's all anyone cares about and so what, what ends up happening with him you know you've got a guy who started what all of three games yes. during his time in cincinnati but he's a veteran player they liked him in cincinnati you know he's an interesting guy for the cleveland browns for example because if they want to have a bridge quarterback come in he knows Hugh jackson big question is is todd haley john dorsey the new brain trust you know offensive coordinator gm of the Browns, they as sold on him as as Hugh Jackson was when they tried to make the trade for him? But I think Denver ends up getting. You know, they're in a decent spot because you know they could play Paxton Lynch. It's not a great option, but if they draft a quarterback play paxton until the the next guy is ready and i I do think the broncos probably go quarterback at five arizona sitting there at 15 in the draft play that's that's no bueno for you know for that quarterback rank i mean you're probably going to have four guys off the board at that point maybe maybe mason rudolph floats your boat the oklahoma state quarterback maybe luke Falk in the second round from washington state he's a name to watch but I mean, and and again, Lamar Jackson, but they have no quarterbacks there. So they're the type of team that I think is really going to be probably on the short end of the stick when it comes to this. They're not in salary caps, uh, you know, the type of situation to be able to bid for a Kirk Cousins. I think that would become crippling to them under the salary cap. So they had a window of opportunity with Carson Palmer and Bruce Arians. It is closed. They're trying to pry that window back open to get to a Super Bowl, but it's going to take a little bit of time in WD-40 to get there.
4: We were talking to Alex Marvez. He's up in Indianapolis at the combine. A couple of big stories that came out yesterday the potential that the catch rule is going to get changed, and also the idea that pass interference in the NFL may become a 15 yard penalty as opposed to a spot of the foul penalty. Break down those from your perspective. Do you think they change?
0: Well, let's start with the pass interference penalty, and it's a healthy discussion to have. But I think what you, what you don't want to see in the NFL is taking away big plays. And, and you know, if you have teams that are just simply tackling guys. You know what I mean, as they go downfield? The question to me is, can there be a way that it's put on the officials that they – and I'm not necessarily for this because I like it for black and white for officials and not gray and having to use judgment. But is there a way that if there's an egregious pass interference penalty where you just simply don't even try to defend the football, you're just tackling a a wide receiver – that that could become a spot foul. And then otherwise, you could, if it's someone who's just going for the football and make, trying to make a football play and they don't do a good job with it, then it becomes a 15-yard penalty. I mean, the NFL isn't trying to take points off their scoreboard, right? I mean, they're always encouraging rules that create scoring. So that's why I'm not sure if this one is going to have enough momentum to pass. Uh, you know I think one thing that could be a compromise as far as the catch rule is if you if much like it, it it's at the goal line and if you have the football in your hands and you're trying to reach over and you just have possession for a, a split second or whatever, then that becomes a touchdown uh, otherwise you know it, you know the ground rule it doesn't apply when it comes to the end zone i mean that's they're trying they're just trying to find a way to make this simpler for people and it's become obviously a drain on the game it slows things down when you have to go to replay all the time and that's you know watching football on Sundays used to be a really fast, pleasant experience at times. Now, Clay, it's so herky-jerky with all of the delays in it, and I think the league realizes that. They're having television ratings go down. That may be part of it. People don't don't want to sit around and wait for a football game to unfold like that. So They're trying to find a way to address this issue. Um, they're going to continue to talk about it. It's got momentum. Listen, if Roger Goodell wants a rule change done, much like he did with the extra points, much like he did with the overtime rules, he'll get it done. And someone's going to go to Roger, catch his ear with something, that one will get passed. The pass interference penalty i'm not so sure if we're gonna see that one get done in 2018
4: last question for you roger goodell versus jerry jones is this thing put to bed now with the uh the the two million dollar fine for legal fees or whatever the heck it is or is this a looming and ongoing discord between the two of them
0: i think it'll be an ongoing discord that that continues and, and a lot and listen jerry jones behind the scenes is getting his way you know, in a lot of cases, there there are, you know, things being done as far as NFL employees are trimming some fat. I think that, that Jerry looks at the, you know, expenses of the league office and says, why do we have these people employed? Are these the best people to have in these positions? And and I think you're starting to, you know, quietly see a trickle of, of folks that, that were hired under, you know, under Goodell who are leaving. You know, they're not widely publicized by the league because you don't want to make a spectacle of it you're the NFL, but Jerry wanted to get some of the power back from the league office. He, he basically, you know, the commissioner, you know, he feels that, that he's, in, you know, entrusted with keeping the league strong, but Jerry's of the opinion and pushing back that, we're the owners. We're the, the backbone of the NFL and we'll tell you what we think is best for our business. So this one's gonna continue. Listen, two million dollars legal fee, we'll see how how far that goes. I think that, that the, the reality is in some ways that this isn't necessarily a Roger Cadell decision, but it's an owner decision by other owners who aren't happy with what Jerry Jones did. You know, they don't wanna be bullied. Billionaires don't like being bullied by other billionaires so that's why i think you see the pushback on jerry jones to just keep it a little bit more in check be more of a team player and i think that's why they're, they're squeezing him like this which is something petty it's petty you know what i mean you're talking two million dollars to jerry jones you know what i'm saying his franchise is worth four billion dollars I, I mean you know what i mean it's almost like a twenty dollar fine for jason martin for not returning my you know my email this week about when i was going to be coming on the air with you right i mean that, that's how we're talking about here you know that that's all it is it, it's nothing it's trump change
4: Did you email him and he didn't respond? Oh, he didn't.
0: It was Monday. He was already gone. Like, in his mind, actually, he was probably gone in the middle of last week. You know what I mean? He was just trying to come up with some scheme where it was like, can I stay home and blame it on the
4: snow, even though there's no snow?
0: You know, type of thing. But that's how J-Mart works. You know that.
4: I don't even know what he's doing. Thanks for uh, Alex Marvez. I don't even know what he's doing. He hasn't tweeted all week. Like, I, I don't know, like, is he on some sort of sabbatical? Is he like... I. He hasn't sent a text message. Uh, nobody knows where Jay mart is. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Well, last night in the Staples Center, this happened. Do we have the audio of the call again, guys, that we can play for Brandon Wright in the event that he hasn't heard the actual audio since he was uh, he was there on the sideline? Let's listen to this
2: hard one on one here. Yeah, James doubling up the Clippers. Clean up on aisle 3. Clean up on aisle 3. Someone call someone because there's a clean up on aisle 3 as a man is down.
4: Brandon Wright, you were there on the court uh at Staples Center last night when James Harden murdered him another man in cold blood. Uh what was the view like from your perspective?
5: Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I was actually in the back last night cuz uh I had a knee injury so I was I was sitting out. Yes. But uh effect was still the same. <laughs> I mean it was it was pretty crazy. You see that probably you know, 2 3 times a year, but uh, you know, that that was definitely one of the plays of the year cuz you know, James' reaction, he just looked at him for a second and then he waited. Then he shot the three and you know, most of the time a lot of guys don't make it because it's just hard to complete the play, but he I mean, he trained the three. I mean, it was just just one of those things where like, man, that was crazy, but you know, Wesley
4: Johnson's reaction was You know, all you can do is you can laugh. That's all you can do. How hard do you think he was rooting for that ball not to be made? Because if he misses the shot, then the thing isn't as viral, right? Because he didn't complete the play, like you said. Wesley Johnson had to be like, man, please hit the rim. Please roll out. Uh, And when he drained it, uh, I mean, have you – what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you on a basketball court? Like something that you did that your teammates never let you get the end of. It could be all the way back in high school, college – any sort of level was there something like you think of and you're like oh that's the most humiliating thing that ever happened to me
5: uh i think uh well, high school it was early in my career like i think maybe freshman sophomore year you know I, it was one of those things where you want to hit the first free throw and miss the second free throw yeah i hit the first free throw and then the second free throw i didn't even hit the rim so didn't give us the opportunity to even get the the offensive rebound tip in you know to tie the game up so what uh, I basically just blew the game because I couldn't couldn't make contact with the rim. But I don't know if you've seen Kemba Walker had a similar play, similar play last oh, night.
4: Oh. Oh, I, I didn't uh, mean, Yeah.
5: Yeah, against against Chicago, but he he airballed the shot, so it it didn't have a, as as much as big as effect. Well, Kemba Walker
4: crushed. I don't remember in the Big East, was it the Big East basketball tournament I think at the time where they got yeah, hot and they couldn't bad. lose. And he yeah. crossed somebody over, and it was pretty nasty. I think for a game winner in the if I don't if I'm remembering that correctly, uh, it's probably been five or six years ago. And then the one we talked about, you're you probably, what year were you born? I was born in '87. All right. So do you remember? The uh, the play you've probably seen the video of Randolph Childress when he played at Wake Forest because you went to UNC so they probably talk about this where he crossed him over and then he was at the three point line and he did like the come to me like you know the hand gesture and then he drained the three that's the one that I yeah. think of as like being the worst crossover ever
5: yeah I, I remember that, uh, that they play that all the time like in the the pre um, you know kind of the game ACC tournament they, yes. they played it when I was in the ACC tournament too so. That one was crazy. I think that one might have been the most, you know,
4: well-known, disrespectful, because he said, you know, come on back up here. And then he just knocked <laughs> it in like it was, like oh, it was just nothing. It was unbelievable. We're talking to Brandon Wright. All right, before we get into the role that the Houston Rockets are on, um, you were a incredibly highly sought-after recruit in basketball. You ended up going to UNC what was your recruiting process like? Was it a total zoo? Like, are you surprised by the revelations that have come out from the FBI? If you had decided that you wanted to make X dollars, do you have any doubt you could have gotten it? What was it like? I mean, because most people are never going to know what it's like to be one of the top recruits. You were a five-star guy, I'm pretty confident. Like, everybody wanted you. McDonald's All-American. How crazy was your recruitment?
5: I mean, it was it was, it was was nuts. Um, you know, every team wanted me... Um, you know, every little back door, side door, whatever you want to call it, thing was trying to go on. And, you know, with all the stuff going on now, I mean, it's it's no surprise. It's been going on for, you know, however long before me and you were even born. It yeah. just happened to – it's just coming to light now. Uh, it happens every day. You know, whether the coaches know about it or not, they can't stop it. Um, these guys are going to accept money. Um, they're going to go to where they want to go and who usually the highest bidder wins and if the highest bidder doesn't win it's nothing that school can do about it because if you tell you're in trouble so I mean it's one of those things where you know you don't say anything I don't say anything you know hope you come
4: to our school. <laughs> when did people start trying to like influence you? Because you're a big guy. So you're a tall guy. People can see how talented you are. Do you remember the first time you got approached by somebody who was like, you didn't know prior, right? I mean, because they're everybody's surrounded by people that they've known for a long time. But you know, was it 1415? Like at what point did it kind of turn into a frenzy for you, where you felt like people are trying to kind of try, try to get close to me because they know what's coming?
5: Yeah, it started early. It started at uh, 13 years old.
4: 13? You know,
5: so how does that happen? Th- like, you're seven, playing in a basketball tournament,
4: early. some stranger comes up, and he's like, hey, man, you got to go to X school. Like, I'm just fascinated by what what the process is like.
5: You know, it usually happens at those uh, those big, you know, travel AAU tournaments. That's where it happens at. You know, yes. you get a lot of different people and a lot of, in the same gym at the same time. They see you play, and, you know, it, the person might not have a, affiliation with the school or not actually not an official position with the school, but, you know, they, they, every, everyone knows that they have a significant role as far as, you know, getting guys to go to certain places or, or being involved with the school. So it, that's how it usually goes down. I mean, usually, you know, they try to, um, you know, get you through the back door, but I'm interested to see about this Sean Miller thing because if they got him on tape. That would be, that would be something that's never happened before.
4: Like, you didn't hear from head coaches who were like, I'll give you $100,000 to come play. It's like always further down the flow chart if that's the way when you're a top recruit. Is that typically what happens?
5: Yeah, no question at all. They, You know, head coaches usually don't get involved with those things. They usually turn the blind eye. Even if they do know what's going on, they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, so, you know, to hear that, you know, they have a wiretap of Sean Millen
4: confirming $100,000 to DeAndre Ayton I mean I I definitely want to hear that and also doesn't part of you I mean you've watched DeAndre Ayton play I'm sure you're a big basketball fan and he's going to be a top draft pick that also seems like a pretty good deal for Arizona if all it took was a hundred grand to get him to come play for you for a year right I mean that that I mean it's like Cam Newton like I don't know how any Auburn fan could complain I mean uh, the value that those guys can unlock is is so far in excess of whatever they might get paid by somebody. Right? It's a good deal for the school or the handler, certainly.
5: Now you hit it right the nail right on the head. I, I was talking to somebody like last week when this stuff went down, and I was like, man, you know, what we bring to the school at the, at the time, you know, we're probably worth millions. So
0: yeah.
5: you know, a hundred thousand, whatever, one hundred fifty thousand, you know. You know, ten thousand here, there—it's just a drop in the bucket. You know that—that that doesn't affect anything. You know, compared to what they get on their end, and you know, like I said, I'm not surprised any of this stuff is going down. It's been happening for years, all sports. So, you know, it's just interesting to see—you know, what what schools are going to go down, and you know, what big name coaches are really in trouble.
4: We're talking to Brandon Wright. He is with the Houston Rockets. Uh, he was in Staples Center last night. He's recovering from a knee. By the way, how is your knee? How long do you think you'll be out?
5: I don't know. I still, I still. Uh, we've been on the road, so got to see the doctors
4: when we get back to Houston today. It's always better to get stuff done when you go back home. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, is this something that people are talking about in NBA locker rooms? I mean is the uh, is the NCAA scandal uh, for college basketball something that you guys would sit around and talk about on planes? Uh, you know, as you're killing time, is this something that guys in the NBA are following?
5: Oh yeah, no, no question. We're <laughs> we're talking about it, but you know, no one is surprised. That's yeah. what people don't understand. Like this stuff goes on. This is like this is like clockwork. I mean this this is part of the process. You know, illegal or not, you know, this is this is the way some schools get guys and you know, this is the way uh business is done and you know, whoever tells, you know, that they're they, they the one to ring the bell, but you know, the the FBI is involved, so it's it's getting pretty serious and you know, obviously the NCAA they're gonna do everything possible to try to crack down on this.
4: You were a five star recruit in two thousand six. I'm reading right now. You were uh like the number three player in the nation. You went to UNC for one year. You were a McDonald's all American, I believe, as well. How many McDonald's all Americans do you think got something? Like in general. What percentage of a McDonald's all American team do you think are getting something more than a scholarship to go to the college that they go to?
5: Uh you know, honestly I would say,
4: you
5: know, fifty to sixty percent.
4: So, it's still um, yeah,
5: yeah i mean it's it's a big number, and you know, and i'm I'm talking about like I'm gonna go over i'm gonna say over ten k or whatever and yeah i i'll I will bump the number up even more to like you know seventy five eighty percent for guys who get those handshakes, you know, yes, you know, full of two hundred three hundred dollars, you know from time to time, you know that you know, technically, me that stuff is that stuff is illegal too, compared to the uh you know. According to the NCAA, so it's it's happening a lot. I mean, but you know, if you if you get a handshake from a booster, you know, or um, a former alum right after the game, and he gives you two three hundred dollars in a hand, nobody can detect it. Nobody can see if you don't tell your your buddies or anything. You no, know, no one ever knows.
4: And that happens like that's not just a cliche. Like you've seen and, and heard of that happening, where like you literally get like the hundred dollar handshake. Oh no question,
5: um, but it's usually more than $100. It's a hundred dollars. It's as much as they can fit. It's,
4: as much <laughs> it's fit they can in your fit palm without being seen. Yeah, that's that's pretty outstanding. Now, if you were talking to the NCAA and they said, Brandon, what should we do? Like, how would you solve this? Is it even a problem that needs to be solved? Like, what would your when you think about it from a larger context? You've been involved. Uh, you're in the NBA now. Um, you know, you may have a kid getting recruited one day, and it might be different for you because that kid, you'll have more money, it, it wouldn't be able to influence you as much as it might have been, you know, when you're younger and you don't have as much money. What's a good solution? Like, what makes sense? You know, I, to be honest,
5: I, I, don't, I have no clue what they can do unless they start playing NCAA sleeper agents <laughs> within the whole country, which yeah. they don't have the means or the power, or the money. You know, this, this is not the CIA or anything like that. I don't. I have no clue. I don't think they can stop it. You know, it's just so many guys. You know, these these agencies and these these uh, programs. They can get so many guys that have no affiliation, have no you know no ties to the program. They can can do these things for them that it doesn't matter what the NCAA does. You can have someone so far removed, you know, that you can you know get the job done. If a school comes up to you, Clay, and says, you know, we want you to approach these guys, but you know, we, we're going to pay you a certain amount, but, you know, this conversation never happened. I mean, it, it can be as simple as that. You know, they, they'll take care of you, but at the same time, if something goes down, you know, there's no no official record that you were involved with, you know, ex-school.
4: Yeah. It's wild. So you said you got approached for the first time starting at 13. Um, you know, people could see you at these basketball camps, see how talented you are. How do you know who you can trust? Because you just said like the sleeper cell idea, which is pretty funny, like uh, double agents, whatever else. How do you know who you can trust? Because you're a kid, thirteen years old. Like you're playing basketball, you're good. Like what do you what do you use as the gauge? You may know you can trust a coach, but how do you know these guys who are approaching you? Like who's on the up and up and who's not? How did you assess that?
5: You know, usually a lot of these guys that that are doing this are pretty pretty sleazy overall. Yeah, you really can't trust those guys. But um, I mean, you know, every now and then you get situations like what's going on right now. Um, you know, you get these these runners or whatever you want to call them that that they get caught. Most of the time with these guys, you know, you if you do receive money from them and you don't go to their school, you never hear from them again. And then that's how the game usually usually goes, and it's been going for such a long time. But you know, someone got caught, someone got tripped up here and there, and you and, and, uh, know, they blew the whistle and said, "All right." I gave such and such to him, 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 and him, and all right, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> That's yeah. what it's coming down to.
4: So, um, yeah, it's it's just to me so utterly fascinating. Um, now, a lot of it's cash, right? So if you are a kid and you're 18 years old, how do you go about spending your money? Like, I mean, it, to me, it's kind of fascinating because most people out there, and I'll put myself in this category, unless I'm in Las Vegas – It's rare that I've ever seen like $1,000 in cash, right? I mean, because and God forbid when you're 16 or 17 or 18, like I I would have never even seen remotely near $1,000 in cash. What's it like to suddenly have access to that level of cash? Because I think the thing people have to think about out there is when you're 15 or 16 or 17 years old, it doesn't take that much money for you to feel like you're rich, right? I mean, like, uh, even in college. Like, I don't know how many times in college I would have had more than $100 in my wallet. You got $100 in your wallet in college, a lot of times you feel rich, right?
5: Oh, no question. Like, you know, when I was in college, in the high school, like, when I had a couple hundred bucks, I I felt great. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I felt like I was the bank at the time. And usually how these things go is they give the money to the parents, you know, to the uncle, to the brother, Somebody who's a little bit older and a little bit, you know, so-called more responsible, they give the money to those guys or uh, gals, and they handle it, and then you know they give the money to the kids, you know, because you know the kids you can't get a kid fifty thousand dollars, they you know they would obviously be caught in a minute, but you know <laughs> right. the the parents, the the uncle, the aunt, or the, the brother, whatever, then they'll distribute to the to the uh, to the kids some kind of way, and it's, I mean it's usually all cash, so it's not traceable.
2: Yeah,
4: and that's wild to get all that cash. Like, I mean, it's I guess delivered in duffel bags. Like, I mean, because again, it reminds me of like Breaking Bad when he starts to carry around all that cash. In theory, it sounds awesome to have a hundred thousand dollars. Right, a hundred thousand dollars takes up a lot of space. I think, if I'm not mistaken, right. I've never seen anything more than maybe two or three thousand dollars at once in Vegas. So you start thinking about all this cash business rolling around. All right, I'm gonna pivot from uh the college basketball scandal uh to the Rockets. You've been there now for a couple of weeks. The Team has won fourteen games in a row. How good are they? Are they better than you thought they were before you joined them? Are they about what you expected? What's making this team work and gel so well?
5: Uh, I mean the the, the chemistry is great. Uh you know, we're just rolling right now. I mean, you know, I was telling someone yesterday it's just you know we're not even playing against the team in front of us we're just playing against ourselves now at this point you know we're just trying to get better um you know trying to execute and you know we got about 20 games left and we're just trying to do what we can to get that number one seed but you know we're just rolling it's, it's crazy because you know i was on memphis and we beat these guys twice you know and we, we only have 13 games we only lost 13 games so far so you know, to to loot to beat them twice and to, to see how they're playing this year—it's it's unbelievable. It's just, you know, it, it was fun out there. I played it again in the game uh, against Denver a couple games ago. It was just, it was just fun out there. No matter what the other team does, you feel
4: like you really can't. You be beat. Yeah, there's no doubt at all about that. Now, NCAA tournament-wise, uh, you obviously went to North Carolina. How much do you root for North Carolina now? Like, uh, how much uh, pride and, uh, like, uh, you know, dismay, uh, excitement do you get on a North Carolina game against Duke or certainly in an NCAA tournament game? Do you still really get riled up uh, to root for the, the Tar Heels?
5: Oh, yeah, we definitely, uh, you know, across the locker room, we make a lot of bets. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we're definitely trying to – we want to see our school win. And, you know, I you know this year it's kind of tough. You know, the, the landscape of college basketball is – you know, no team to me. Is, no team is dominant to me. You know, no team really has where you point to and say, you know, I want to put a lot of money on them to win this whole thing. But you know, Carolina's looking all right. You know, we we dropped one against Miami the other night, which is you know kind of unexpected. But that's how the season's been going, so yeah, we definitely, you know, we definitely want to see our colleges win. You know, we we get excited about this tournament.
4: Brandon, I appreciate you getting up early for us. I know it's early out in L.A. You just had a game last night. Get well, have a good flight back to Houston, and uh, pray, for, uh, pray for my man who got murdered last night by James Harden.
5: I <laughs> appreciate it, man. We're, love talking to you guys. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.